Good morning. How are y'all today? Good. Good. Oh, man. Some mornings I do not want to stop the worship through music. Our, our team did a wonderful job today, did they not? Have you ever found yourself learning something new only to find out later that you need to relearn it over and over again? Whether it's a skill, a piece of knowledge, maybe it's even an internal narrative that you tell yourself that's wrong, but you've learned to say it to yourself, and you have to relearn what that actually means to take it out. We learn many things, thinking that we've understood it, only to find out later that we need to continue working on relearning it. And sometimes when we learn and relearn, it helps us to open our minds and, and gives us understanding of a particular skill that's associated with what we learned the first time. Other times it helps us maybe to see people in a new light and empathize with them. And other times, it really does help to reinforce what you already know. This morning, as the worship team uh, sat down before rehearsal and before getting on with the morning, Becca Prim had us listen to a song and consider it. Everything in that song I already knew, but I needed to relearn the truth of that song. And honestly, I think it's because I feel like I'm always learning and relearning things. It might be because I'm dense. It might be because I like to rush things along. I like to have a microwave kind of mentality when the world really is and life really is more of an oven. Um, but I know that I'm constantly having to learn and relearn humility and how to empower and equip others. And I'm having to relearn what it means to sit before the Lord in silence and trust Him. Anytime that I think I figured it out, God's like, no, you haven't. And he uses his people and my circumstances and his word to remind me that I'm still learning. And I have to relearn all these things because I haven't mastered them yet. And that's okay. I just have to let the master master me. I have to allow Christ to reign in my life. And I think that is a grace of God in and of itself because God wants to open my eyes and my heart to the things that he is doing in me and around me. I will never be perfect. I will only be learning. And the reason I will always be learning is because I'm a disciple of Christ. God teaches me and his people teach me. You teach me. And it's in this sense that it is a grace of God that he would continue to allow me to learn and relearn. And I believe it's consistent with the, the stories we see in the New Testament about Jesus. It's in line with his character because in many ways, at many times, this is exactly what he was doing with the disciples. He was allowing the disciples to learn and relearn. He would teach about himself and everyone's need to trust upon him only having to say the same thing over and over again. And yet, a really good thing about that 
is that Jesus was never exasperated to the point of giving up. He allowed them to learn and to relearn, to hear and to hear again. He taught about God's love for them and God's desire to be in their lives because their life is wrapped up in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. And I believe that's what we're going to see here today in Mark 6. Last week, Pastor Kevin shared an instance in the lives of the 12 disciples where Jesus empowered them to go out and share the gospel and to heal those in need. He pointed out that Jesus knew the disciples' need, and then he called them to rest. Then we saw how the same is true for our lives today. And today we'll look at another remarkable story in the life of Jesus and his disciples. It actually takes place immediately after the events of last week. It's found in Mark chapter 6, verses 33 through 44. And there's a fun fact about this. Outside of the resurrection, this is the only other miracle recorded in all four of the Gospels. Now, there are other stories and other miracles that find themselves recorded through multiple Gospels. But this and the resurrection is the, are the only two that are recorded in all four of the Gospels. They're found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But if you will, if you haven't turned there already, or you can follow along on the screen, we will read Mark 6, verses 33 through 44. It says, Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages, and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave the disciples to set before gave them to the disciples to set before the people and he divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish and those who ate the loaves were 5000 men there are three brief observations that I have from this passage that I want us to focus on today. And the first is that Jesus sees our greatest needs. Doesn't that sound a lot like what we heard just last week? I think that's for two reasons. The first is that the disciples are continuing to learn and relearn that God, through Jesus, has concern for their greatest needs in life. And the second reason is that this passage expands on whose needs Jesus is providing for. Not only is Jesus providing for the disciples, but he's providing for the crowd that has followed them along the shore. 
Following the disciples' return from their mission, Jesus calls the disciples away to rest. They were on a boat on the Sea of Galilee when people recognized them, and they began following Jesus and the disciples on the shore. They ran ahead trying to figure out just where they were going to land. They wanted to meet Jesus as soon as he got off the boat. Doesn't that kind of sound like our culture today? If there were a celebrity in town or around where you were, you're going to try to figure out just exactly where he or she is going. The fans of the celebrity want to flock there and get a glimpse of them. It's no different in Jesus' day. People of popularity were sought out by the crowds, and they wanted to find a way to get closer to Jesus. But where exactly did this crowd come from? It's likely that these people came from all the surrounding area where the disciples had just ministered and preached just a few verses before. What the disciples were able to do caught on with the people, and they were looking to get more of Jesus. They wanted to see him and be near him. And isn't that true for us as well? When we are with people or around people that live and love and serve like Jesus, don't we try to find ways to get closer to them, to spend more time with them? Jesus and the disciples were followed because they loved and served people well. And when they finally got ashore, Jesus immediately sees this great multitude that had gathered around, and Jesus had compassion on them. It wasn't pity. It was compassion. Why is it important to to note that it's compassion? It's because compassion is about caring for others. It's about seeking a way to help them in their needs. Jesus wasn't looking down on them. He loved them and wanted to provide for them. In verse 34, Mark tells us that Jesus saw the, the crowd like sheep without a shepherd. So what good is a shepherd for sheep? As one commentator stated, no animal is as dependent upon a shepherd as sheep. Without the shepherd, sheep wander aimlessly and get lost. Without the shepherd to show them the good places to graze, the sheep do not eat. Without a shepherd to lead them to water, sheep will die of thirst. And without the shepherd, wolves can devour the sheep. And we know from the stories of, the, of Scripture that Jesus is the good shepherd. And so Jesus did what only the good shepherd could do. He provided for these sheep. But in what way did he provide for them? He did so in two ways. The first, to teach them. At the end of verse 34, it says that Jesus began teaching the crowd many things. But what things Was he teaching? Since this miracle was recorded in all four Gospels, I want us to lean in just a little bit. Luke tells us that Jesus began teaching the people about the kingdom of God. He healed people, but he also taught about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is is a phrase that's used in the Gospels as a way to communicate the spiritual rule over the hearts and lives of those who willingly submit to God's authority. Maybe a little more broadly, it means that Jesus has talked about the reign and rule of God over all creation 
and the need to be reconciled with God through trusting upon Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Jesus taught that these people, Jesus taught these people what they needed to hear the most. They needed to hear that they were loved by God and that they can have a real and vibrant relationship with the creator of the universe. And honestly, that's our greatest need today as well. Jesus sees this and knows this. That's why he offers grace and salvation to any who will listen and trust upon him. Those who accept his gracious call to eternal life are freely welcomed to him. Have you sat with this fact lately? When was the last time that you sat and thought about your need for a relationship with God through faith in Jesus? Maybe you've had a relationship with Jesus for a while, but have you continued thinking upon this? Have you continued to consider what Jesus is doing in your life to create or cultivate a vibrant and growing relationship with him? Jesus cares for you and desires that you have more than just salvation in him. He calls you to abundant life. So what is Jesus teaching you about abundance right now? But it's not just this teaching that Jesus sees as a great need for this crowd. He also recognizes that they need food. Even though it was the disciples who brought up the food, it was Jesus who is well aware of their need for it. Again, Jesus sees our greatest needs, whether that's spiritual, emotional, physical. And in these things, Jesus provides. We all need to eat. We all need water. We all need a roof over our heads. We all need love. We have these deep-seated needs in our lives that help us flourish. And Jesus sees that in these people, in this crowd. He knows exactly what they need. They traveled to meet Jesus on the shore of Galilee, uh, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and after traveling, they were hungry. Jesus cares for our spiritual needs, but he cares for our physical needs as well. And this is evident in the story, but also throughout the scriptures. For just a moment, I want us to imagine sitting there listening to Jesus teach. And you're sitting there listening to him, soaking in what he has to say, but then all of a sudden there's a little rumbling in your tummy. At first, it's not that bad, right? It's like, okay, I can just kind of ignore that. I'm going to keep listening. But as he, as Jesus continues to speak, it gets louder and it gets more intense. How are you supposed to listen to Jesus teach when all you can hear is your stomach say, feed me? Jesus knows that food is important. He uses it over and over again in his illustrations because he himself provides for our needs, both physical and spiritual. The crowd that day had the need for food, but I imagine they had other needs as well. Financial needs, family needs, health needs, the need for love and care. That's the human experience, 
We have needs. And I believe that Jesus was aware fully of each and every one of those needs. He sees them. I don't know what they were. They're not recorded in Scripture. But I trust that as Jesus looked out among this crowd, he knew each need intimately, and he cared for these people. And he cares for you. What is it right now that you have as your greatest need? Maybe it's spiritual. Maybe you need Jesus to work in your way and in your life in such a way that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is the Son of God, Savior of humanity, and he's inviting you into a relationship with him. Maybe your spiritual need is to take you out of apathy and to lean in to your relationship with Jesus just a little bit more. Maybe it's physical. Maybe your greatest need right now is a miraculous healing, whether by natural or supernatural means that God would heal you of whatever is going on in your body or in a loved one's body. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe you need Jesus to take care of something that's going on in your heart and mind that you can't fully explain, but you need healing and you need comfort from. And oftentimes when we have these needs, we feel alone. But Jesus sees these needs. I believe him to be already working to provide for these needs. So what are your needs in this moment? Do you believe that Jesus sees them? Do you believe that Jesus cares for you? And do you believe that Jesus will provide for those needs? I believe he will. I I think that is consistent with who he is. And I think this passage helps us to understand the second truth that I, I have observed, and that's Jesus provides abundantly, provides abundantly for our greatest needs. Not only does he see them, not only is he aware of them, not only does he have compassion upon you, but Jesus provides abundantly for our greatest needs. How can a loving and a gracious God not provide when we're in need? When the disciples asked Jesus to release the crowd so that they can go into the surrounding towns and area to buy dinner, Jesus' response is for the disciples to feed them. In verses 35 and 36, the disciples say, This is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, You give them something to eat. So the disciples' response turns into them thinking, oh no, we now have to organize a dinner. Um, and so they, they begin to, to say, oh, well, do we need to, to gather money and go purchase bread and bring it to these people to eat? They were concerned, the disciples were concerned with the cost. They were concerned that it would be, the cost would be significant to them. So you see, the the calculated cost for a group this size would be roughly at least eight months' salary for a day laborer. 
I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't have that much spare in my bank account to buy that much food for people. Um, but Jesus responds not with, fine, take a collection and y'all go do it. Jesus responds with, okay, how many loaves do you have? Why don't you, why don't you go and see? <laughs> but you see, this, this past week as I was reading the passage and I get to this, this portion of the story, I read Jesus' initial response in my tone of voice. Whenever he, he tells them to, to give the crowd something to eat, I read it as, my guys, look, I'm busy. I'm teaching here. Like, y'all go do something about it. Like, actually serve these people. But that exasperated response doesn't really sound like the character of Jesus. It sounds like the character of Justin. <laughs> and so I sat with those words for a little bit longer. And, it, and there was a different tone that came. And I think it was the Jesus tone. I think it something that just is more in line with who he is. And so I now read it as, friends, we're here to love and serve these people. Let's love and serve them by providing the food that they need. Let us do what we can to help them. The disciples knew that they were there to serve. They'd been taught that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and be a ransom for many. They knew this to be true. But with them, as with us, they forgot easily and had to relearn what Jesus had been showing them. Jesus told them to go and look for what food they had in order to serve others. Jesus was teaching the disciples even as he was teaching the crowd. And so once they procured, procured the food, that's a hard word to say whenever you grow up in West Texas, uh, once they got the food, uh, we see that Jesus commanded the crowd to sit down in groups. And these groups are a 50 and a 100, and they're scattered throughout. And so these groups of 50 and 100 just sat down on this green grass. And it's interesting as you, as you read this passage in the Gospel of Mark, because both the color of the grass and the language that's used in the Gospel of Mark about how they sat down is significant to the story. First, the grass is green for only a limited time in Israel. So according to some commentators, the fact that it, the grass is described as green helps us to date this event to around the time of Passover and early spring. I can imagine there being a nice cool breeze as they're on the edge of the Sea of Galilee being taught, sitting in comfortable green grass, hearing what the Lord Jesus had to say. But the second fact, the way that Mark describes the group to me is fascinating. There's this beauty that occurs as he describes the, these groups in verses 39 and 40 that help give us a visual uh, to know what Jesus might be doing. You see, in verse 39, 
the, the, the word used for these groups um, is essentially like these eating or, or drinking groups. These just, they're potlucks, essentially. They sit down, they're symposiums. They, they sit down and eat together. But there in verse 40, Mark uses a different word. And it carries this, this idea, this connotation of gardening plots. And so these people sat down in groups of 50 and 100 thinking, I'm going to eat. This is what we're doing here. But I think in the mind of Jesus, he said, I'm sitting them down in these groups to help them grow up in the kingdom. As Jesus looked out on the crowd, he saw these plots of people that had the potential to grow into productive members of the kingdom of God. And that's what I've prayed for us this week, church. I've thought about the fact that we are sitting in this space together, that God is using us and working in our lives to help us grow up into productive, faithful, and obedient members of the kingdom of God. And we don't get to determine if we're an apple tree or a tulip. God does. But he still uses us. He allows us the grace and the ability to learn to grow up and be productive. Anyway, the, the meal that Jesus and the crowd are about to, to eat together happened to be five measly barley loaves and two fish. These loaves tended to be thinner, kind of think about the size of uh, a finger, um, maybe more like a dinner roll or a tortilla. Um, now all I can think about is, is uh, tortillas. Anyway, um, think, think more of, of a thinner, flatter piece of, of bread rather than a huge loaf that would feed a family. In fact, the average person could eat multiple barley loaves at one time. And the two fish were probably these small, salted, dried-out pieces of fish. Think like a jerky. Um, one commentator mentioned that it was likely that these fish were so small and dry that the bones probably would have been eaten along with the meat of the fish. Yeah, yum. That's, I think I'll just take the bread. It's fine. Uh, but um, it appeared that this crowd was about to have to figure out how to divide two small fish and five loaves thousands of times over. The math just doesn't work. You can't do that. And yet, Jesus wasn't worried about it. Jesus sets up looking for what they could provide without concern to make sure you get enough. He just said, what do we have Jesus then took the loaves and the fish and he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. He thanked his father for his provision. Typically, Jewish blessings at mealtime would have been said with your head bowed out of, as a sign of humility. But, but Jesus, being humble and yet knowing who he was and who his father is, looked to heaven and thanked the Father for his provision. 
The remarkable feeding of these people happened to be a miracle that took place in the hands of Jesus. It didn't just happen, it took place in his hands. He thanked the Father, and then he multiplied the fish and the loaves. And the interesting thing is, in verse 42, it says, every person in the crowd, they all ate, and they were satisfied. A few weeks ago, I was uh, in the Denison area, and there's a, a place called Huck's Catfish up there, um, and it's, it's very worth the drive. Um, and so by the time I get there that afternoon, I think to myself, I really am hungry. I, I need something good. And so I looked at the menu and I asked the server, okay, what would you recommend? And I think she looked me up and down and she goes, you need the big boy meal. No, not really. She, <laughs> she, she walked me through what, what the fillets would look like. And so uh, I ordered a few pieces of catfish and a baked potato, some green beans, some hush puppies, and some peach cobbler. Um, so, uh, and that was delicious. It was really, really good. But sharing two small fish and five loaves with thousands of other people, that's not happening for me. Because I would walk away being so hungry. But again, Jesus knows our greatest needs, and he provides abundantly for our greatest needs. You know, nowhere in the Gospels do the writers tell us exactly how Jesus multiplied the loaves and fish, but he did. We see that in all four accounts that people ate, they were provided for, and they were satisfied. But I like to think as I read this story, actually, as I, I think of any story in Scripture, I've had this thought that when God created the heavens and the earth, he had music playing, and that it was a joyful sound. Maybe he had an angelic John Williams writing this score as he created. And I also like to think that as Jesus held these loaves and these fish in his hands, that song was playing in his mind. Now, this is all imagination. None of this is in Scripture. I'm just, I'm, I'm picturing these things. But I also like to picture that whatever Jesus is doing is bringing him joy, and it's reminding him of why he created all things and how he's reconciling all things. So Jesus, whether or not he was listening, I don't know, maybe... Maybe he was listening to heavy metal, I don't know, in his mind. But as Jesus performs this miracle, he does so out of a desire, out of compassion for these people to provide abundantly for their greatest needs. And the truth is, he still provides abundantly for our needs. So again, I ask you, what are your greatest needs right now? And how are you asking God to provide for them? Now, the ones in the crowd didn't ask Jesus, at least not that we're told. He knew them. But Jesus, in our relationship with him, desires for us to talk to him. So how are you communicating your greatest needs 
I believe that Jesus is already providing and working on providing for your greatest needs. But I know that a lot of times it feels like you're alone. I know that a lot of times it feels like you have these needs and time and time again, they're just not met. And so you wrestle with, is God good? Does he care about me? Does he really provide? And the answer is yes, he does. He knows exactly what we need and when we need it. It goes back to what I said earlier. I like to live a microwave-style life. I want things like that. I don't, I don't want to take the time. But God, through Jesus, takes his time because he knows exactly what we need. Jesus has already provided for you. He knows exactly what you need, and he's given it abundantly. But maybe you're like some of those members of the crowd at the back, and you're just having to wait on Jesus and the disciples as they distribute the food. So maybe you're sitting and waiting on Jesus to provide. And sometimes that provision looks differently than what you thought it should. I can imagine there were people in that crowd, because I would be one of those people, that looks at the provision and be like, really, fish and bread? Do we have lasagna? Is that, is that an option? And so sometimes as Jesus provides for us, it looks differently than we expected. But can we rest for just a moment and receive the provision that he has provided? Because he knows best. The Gospel of John tells us where Jesus got the food from. In John 6, 9, we're told there's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish. So not even the disciples got the food. It was discovered because this boy was carrying the lunch that probably his mom packed for him. It was this boy's limited resources on that day that were used by Jesus for the sake of the crowd. And that's my third observation from this passage. Jesus uses our limited resources to provide for others. I would imagine that this little boy had no idea that his lunch would be used for a miracle in the hands of Jesus. He probably just thought the day was going to be like every other day. He was just going to go about his schedule, sit down, eat his lunch, and then move on. But the day that he encountered Jesus and his disciples it wasn't an ordinary day. It became a remarkable day. Mark tells us that 5,000 men were in attendance in the crowd that day and that they all ate and were satisfied. No one left hungry. But then it blows my mind because when you read this account uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew tells us that, yeah, it was 5,000 men, but there were also women and children in attendance that weren't taken into account in that 5,000 number. So there's a real possibility that there could have been 10,000 people that day. And so you're telling me that two fish and five loaves provided a meal for all of those people and that they were satisfied. Well, the boys' limited resources alone could not have done that. But the boys' limited resources in the hands of Jesus for the sake of those around him that provided abundantly. And so 
Truth be told, that's the case for most of us in this room today. We've been the recipients of God's grace and God's gifts because God has used the people around us to help us. And when you give of your life and of your gifts and of your resources, no matter how limited they are, you do so out of a faithful obedience to to Christ, God will use that. Look, I, I don't know about you. On a daily basis, I struggle with what I'm able to bring to the table. Whatever the table is, however you want to phrase it, whether it's in my marriage, here at the church, in my relationships with family and friends, I often struggle with what I feel like I'm able to do. I know that I have limited resources, I have limited capabilities, and I have an unlimited ability to sin. That's what I bring to the, to the table. And God doesn't need me, but he has called me to trust on Jesus and then to be available to be used by him as he sees fit. So, rather than being a negative Ned or a mopey Mark, when I trust in Jesus and I bring my gifts and my skills and my presence to be used by God, I don't have to be those things. I just get to be Justin in Christ. That's, that's all that, that is needed. I can be used by my Savior when I bring my limited resources and abilities to him so that he can use it as he wills and sees fit. So how many in here have benefited from God using the limited resources of others to help us grow, to help us feel safe, to help us know that God is working? If you have benefited from others, and I imagine everyone has, then we can, we can see the goodness of God. But I also wonder how many feel like whatever we bring will never be enough. We believe that we're so limited that God just doesn't want us. And that's not true. Because the power doesn't rest in us. The power rests in God himself. And so when we believe, when we trust that God will use us, even though we're limited, when we show up in faith and trust, God will use those limited resources. And so I hope that this story of a boy and his lunch feeding thousands of people would be a reminder that God does miraculous and remarkable things with our limited resources because God knows our greatest needs and he provides for them. The disciples knew all of these things. They'd heard it and they had seen it over and over again. But they had to learn it and they had to relearn it. In fact, many of the disciples had to learn it and relearn it even after Jesus ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father. It's just human nature. We learn and we relearn because God has given us this grace. But what made them effective was their willingness to trust that Jesus sees their greatest needs, that Jesus provides for their greatest needs, and that he would use their limited resources for the sake of others. And if this is true, and I believe it is, what are we to take away from today's passage? Because we can't just hear a story and then be like, okay, that's great, and move on. It has to make a difference. 
What are we learning about how Jesus sees our greatest needs and provides for them? Are we considering how God might be using us to help others? So let me give a, a few questions you can, if, you, if you're a writer, write these down. If you take pictures, take, the, uh, take a picture of it. But let me give you a few questions to consider as we go from here today. One, how am I learning or relearning that Jesus sees my greatest needs? And partner with the Holy Spirit to ask this, what current needs do I know that Jesus sees right now? Are they spiritual? Are they physical? Are they emotional? But what current needs do I know that Jesus sees right now? And how can you pray? Ask him to provide. The next set of questions you can ask yourself and partner with God in prayer in, how am I learning or relearning to see God's provisions for my needs? What needs are being abundantly met by God right now that I can praise him for? I made the joke that I, I tend to be a, a mopey marker, a negative net, and you can ask my wife, that's very true. Um, and so one thing that I've had to learn over the years is to cultivate gratitude, to cultivate thankfulness. And this second question, what needs are being abundantly met by God right now that I can praise him for, is something that I have to work really hard at. God is providing for your needs. Partner with him in prayer to see where he is meeting those so you can pray. And then the third set of questions, uh, where am I learning or relearning to entrust my limited resources to the Holy Spirit to be used by him? What limited resources of mine are being used by the Holy Spirit for the sake of others right now? We don't do this alone. We do this in community. We have one another. We serve one another. We love one another. And what we bring to the table, even in our limited resources, can be used by God. These questions won't necessarily answer all of your concerns, and it may not even make you fully aware. They're just meant to help guide you as, that, as you look to Jesus and as you, you ask him to meet your needs, to meet them abundantly, and to use you in wherever your sphere of influence is. We're all in the process of learning and relearning from Jesus. It's a grace of God uh, that allows us to learn from him and to be transformed by him. You may never witness the feeding of 5,000 people from two fish and five loaves. Uh, if you do, please take pictures. We have really good cameras on our phones now. Please, please take pictures. But whenever we partner with God and we begin asking him to see our greatest needs, to provide for our greatest needs, and to use us for the sake of others, I know that you will see God at work. You will see that he meets your needs abundantly because he cares for you. And he will use you for his glory and the sake of others. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we know as we've read today and talked and considered that you see our greatest needs. Sometimes we don't even want to admit our greatest needs to ourselves. But you know, you care for us in such a beautiful and wonderful way. 
So Lord Jesus, help us to entrust to you that you see our greatest needs, that you would provide abundantly for those needs, and that you would use us to meet the needs of others for your glory and for their sake. Left alone, we, we offer nothing. But used by you, you make wonderful and beautiful things. Help us to trust. Help us to rest. Help us to be used by you. God, as this church is a gardening plot for your, for your sake, would you grow us? Whatever seed of truth, whatever seed of uh, encouragement, whatever seed of clarity you sowed in the hearts and lives of the people here today, would you see those things to fruition? Would you make today not just about today? Help today to be about worshiping you and trusting you, but let it also equip us and help us to go from here so that as we go about our week and our month and our years as you give them to us, use that for us to be able to glorify you. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for your grace and your love. And I thank you for how you provide. We love you and we pray all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.